Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. One of the things we're promised when we start to follow Jesus is that we're going to have a new life. We're a new creation, the Bible says. But sometimes it can be hard to get a hold of that new life and feel like we're living it out day by day. In our current sermon series, we're talking through one specific chapter of the Bible, Colossians chapter 3. And this chapter answers two questions for us. First, it tells us what the new life we have in Christ should look like. And secondly, it tells us how we can obtain it. My heart's desire is that you would find and live out new life in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll listen to these messages and I hope you enjoy them because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. It's so good to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope, and it's a joy to be in the presence of God this morning to hear from God's Word. As Pastor Brian mentioned, we're going to try to figure out what's next. It's the question that was on the minds of the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead, and it's a question that for 2,000 years we're still asking, what's next? If Jesus rose from the dead like he said he he would, if he's alive, how does that impact our lives every single day? And I'm so glad that we're in the book of Colossians, and if you have a Bible with you this morning, or if you want to grab one from the seat in front of you, we'll be on page 984 in those uh, seatback Bibles there. There's page 984, the book of Colossians chapter 3. That question... What's next? If Jesus is risen from the dead, if Jesus is alive, then what does that mean for me today in 2019? How does that impact the way I live right now? It's interesting. If you look around the world right now, everyone, everyone is trying to figure this question out. What's the best way to live? What's the right way to live? Is there a new life? Is there a better life out there? And it's this constant quest to go and find that better life. Because we're constantly thinking to ourselves, no matter how good I have it, no matter how seemingly or relatively good it looks for me, there's got to be something better out there. And so we constantly look for ways to pursue this better life. I think this question, there's got to be a better way. Is there a better way? Is always lingering in our minds. This past three weeks, my wife and I have been trying to switch cell phone providers. And yes, you heard me right. For three weeks, we've been trying to switch cell phone providers. Now, I don't want to badmouth any company. So I'll just make up a company name so that you're not thinking about it. Let's just call this company KT&T. We'll call them that. So... This, that way you'll never know who I'm talking about. So we'll just say that KT&T and I have been going through a conversation over these last three weeks, almost 13 to 15 hours of conversations to switch from one provider to another provider and join one family plan and for 14 hours and multiple hangups and disconnects while you're sitting on hold for over an hour You just finally are so frustrated that you storm into an AT&T store, I'm sorry, KT&T store, and you you walk in and there's a gentleman there who fixes everything in under an hour and you're good to go. But for 14 hours of your life, you're on the phone with these people. And my wife and I just said to each other, look, there's got to be a better way to do this. This simply cannot be the way it's normally done. There has to be a better way. 
if you're like me and you sometimes flip on television at night and there are these infomercials, these television commercials that are on at night, what do they all do? They always start with this question, has this ever happened to you? And then there'll be some ridiculous situation that never really happens in real life and they'll put that on the screen. It'll be something like a a person opens up her cabinet and suddenly 6,000 Tupperware containers fall down on top of them. Has this ever happened to you? Or there'll be someone who's eating a taco or a sandwich and the taco just crumbles in their hands and it's all over their clothes and their face and has this ever happened to you? And what is the commercial trying to do? It's trying to make you believe that you have a problem, that there is a better way to handle, there is a better solution for. And I think all through life, this is what we do. There has to be a better way to live life. There has to be more than what I currently have. And so what do we end up doing? We look at our neighbors, we look at our friends, our loved ones, and we say, look at the way they're living. They've got it together. Now I've got to do something in order to live the way that they get to live. It's this constant battle we have. There's some other life out there, and I have to achieve or attain that life. Book of Colossians, chapter 3, might be the most important chapter when it comes to teaching us, especially believers of Christ, how to live, what to focus on, where to set your heart, and how to live day by day. And that's why we really encourage you, if you're available over these next six weeks, be a part of this. Be a part of these sermons. Be a part of a community group and really have a chance to dive into Colossians, chapter 3. I'm drawing your, I'd like to draw your attention to that chapter right now as we read through some of those verses. I'm actually going to rewind a little bit, and we're going to wrap up the end of Colossians chapter 2 so we have a little context. So we'll read Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, and then Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And we read there like this, and the verses will be up on the screen if you can't find it in the Bibles. Since you died with Christ... To the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now we get to Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just to set a little context here, the entire letter that Paul writes to this church, the entire book of Colossians, is about this idea that Christ is enough, that Jesus is everything. He's adequate for your every single need and desire in life. And human philosophy and human teachings will give you one thing, but they will always come up short to the fullness and the greatness and the complete adequacy of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to a church, to a group of believers, 
who started believing things that they probably should not have believed. They started to believe that if I follow more rules, if I create new rules to live by, I will somehow gain God's favor. They started to believe that they possessed a secret knowledge to success, the secret knowledge to the best possible life, a secret knowledge to living better. And if you look at the world around us, we get to see this every single day. Every day, a new self-help guru, a new book, a new speaker, someone's coming out to tell us that there is a secret to a better life that's out there, and I have that secret. The only problem is tomorrow there'll be 35 new books, and the day after that there'll be 100 new books and new speakers. Do you know right now in our country, in America alone, the self-help industry is worth $12 billion, $12 billion with a B dollars. The diet industry is valued at $60 billion. It's this idea that if I just go do a bunch of things, my life will be better. And we, in many ways, even in the church, have bought into this. If I do a bunch of things, if I behave certain ways, my life will be better. And Paul says, wait a second. Jesus just rose from the dead, and you are looking at this completely backward. You're looking at this completely the wrong way. If you're believing that you can somehow make your life better, you've missed what Jesus just did when he walked out of that grave. You've missed it. Because there is nothing that you and I can do. There is no extra work that we can do. There's no life that we can live or specific rules that we can follow that will make life better. But yet if you look around us right now, in our society even today, this idea of if I just do this, I will get this. If I just live like this, I will attain this. Let me ask you a question. How much would you pay for a cookbook from the greatest chef in the world? $50, $75 maybe even? maybe even go all the way up to 100 to buy this cookbook because it's from the greatest chef in the world. But how much would you pay for a cookbook from a fireman or an accountant or a pro football player? You'd probably say nothing. Yet all around this country and all around this world, people are dropping $200 for a book written by this guy, a cookbook written by this guy. If you think about this for a second, what is he selling? Now, he's become one of the biggest self-help gurus in the country right now. And what Tom Brady is selling is not his cooking secrets. He's telling you that my life is like this. And if you follow these steps, your life can be like this too. Six Super Bowl rings. That's how he's positioning it, right? It's this idea that I live this way, you too can live this way. And in our minds, over and over again, it becomes this idea that if I just do a few things, I can live the way that someone else lives. And Paul reminds us again, wait a second, that's not at all what Jesus had in mind. In fact, Paul says, it's not so much what you do that matters, it's who you're with that matters. Let me say that again. It's not so much what you do that matters, it's who you are with that ultimately matters. In fact, four times in the passage that we just read, Paul gives us these with statements, these statements of if you do something with a certain someone, you will have the life that you are called to actually have. And I hope in these next few minutes I can quickly walk us through each of those statements and what they're actually saying for with statements. The first one is in chapter 2 verse 20 and it says, since you died 
with Christ, since you died with Christ. Very quickly, all Paul is saying here is since you died with Christ, since you were buried with him, since you have identified with what he did for you, since you have accepted him as your Lord, the rules and the regulations, the religion and the regiments of this world, they don't have a say over your life anymore. They don't ultimately control you anymore. That's the first realization that Paul is calling the church to. You do not have to live by the rules and the regulations and the religions of this world. No set of rules. No steps will ever get you to God, will give you favor to God because Jesus has died and you have identified him as your Lord in that death. You have died with Christ. You have died with him. His death is your death, that you have now been buried with him, that you are no longer you, but you have now identified yourself with Christ. He is your Lord. And because you have died with Christ, Paul now says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we get to see where, we, where he starts to go in this escalation, this, this trajectory that he puts us on. He says, you have died with Christ, and then he says, now you have been raised with Christ. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it says there like this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where God is. Since you have been raised with Christ, this is one of those things that sometimes we forget and we ignore in our hearts and our minds that, wait a second, the world is telling me that I have to live a certain way, do a couple of things, be a certain type of person, and I will have this so-called better life. And Paul steps into all of this and he says, no, the better life is not something you go and get. The better life is something that's already been given to you. It's already been handed to you. Now, your job is to go and live that better life that's already been given to you by being with the one who gave it to you. Here's what the world tells us. Go and pursue life. Go and pursue the world. Run after riches and fame and run after those things. And time and time again, we see the people who reach the pinnacle of those areas come back and say, guys, there's nothing there. It's ultimately empty. And Paul says, we know it's empty. And that's why we don't pursue riches and wealth and fame. We pursue the one who died and rose again for us. It's not an all-out pursuit for life. It's an all-out pursuit of the one who gave us life. So Paul says, since you have been raised, and since is a key word there. Since is another way of saying, because this happened, because you have been raised from the dead, now this is how you need to live your life. And the first thing he says, because Christ has been raised from the dead, set your minds on things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said like this, a man becomes what he thinks about most of the time. A man becomes what he thinks about most of the time. Paul says like this, in order to live this new life that God has called you to, a resurrected life, a life of power, a life of meaning, the first thing you need to change is not your behavior. You've got to change your mind. You've got to set your mind on things that are above because where your focus is, is where you will end up going. Where your mind is focused is where you'll end up being. 
And we see this in, in so many walks of life. If you're driving and you look to the right for just five seconds or look down for five seconds, your car is not going straight anymore. You're starting to veer off in the direction that you're looking. If you're mowing a lawn, you'll notice oftentimes that um, if you're looking straight down, it's hard to keep a straight line unless you're looking toward something. I coach my kids in, in baseball, and one of the things I see with six- and seven-year-olds is that they have the strength to throw a baseball. They just never throw it straight. And there's a reason for that. They're never looking where they're throwing. They pick up a ball, and the first thing they do is just fling it as hard as they can, never looking. Wherever they look, that's where the ball goes. And they often look to the sides, or they'll look straight down, and the ball will go straight down. Where you focus is where you'll go. Where you look is where you'll go. And the problem in our world today is it's constantly telling you, look where? Here. Look inside. Look in yourself. And the more you look at yourself, the better off you'll be. If you just do these three things, you can overcome anxiety. If you do these five things, you can lose weight. Just look inside yourself for the answers. And Paul is saying, wait a second. If you have died with Christ and you are raised with Christ, then where should you look? Probably start to look at Christ at this point. Our minds are so fixated on everything else, distractions and temptations and worry. We get so fixed on the wrong things that Paul says we often forfeit the life that's been already given to us. Think about this for a second. If your mind is filled with worry, you're going to end up being overcome by worry, by anxiety and, and depression and worry because your mind is filled with those thoughts. If your mind is filled with temptation, you're going to head towards sin if your mind is filled with pride or lust. That's the direction you will go. If your mind is filled with doubt, you will start to just put your trust in the wrong things. If your mind is filled with pride, you'll elevate yourself. If your mind is filled with greed, you'll run after things that will never ultimately satisfy. This is why Jesus and what Paul says here is he offers the opposite. If your mind is filled with Christ, if you're setting up moments and hours and time in your life every week to fill your mind with Christ, watch how different your life just turns out. Because you start to pursue the things of Christ. You start to pursue the same things that the one who gave you life is asking you to pursue. When our minds are fixed on Christ, it's very different. There's a verse in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that reads like this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's the same writer, Paul, telling you again. That if you want to figure out this life that God has called you to live, that God has already given you, it starts up here. It starts in your mind when your mind is set on the things of God. So how do I do that in a, in a given week? What can I do today? What can I do tomorrow to make this happen? I think the battle for the mind is one of those battles that every day requires you to get up and put your armor on and get ready for every single day. It starts by getting up and spending time in God's presence. To start your day with the Lord every day so that your mind, right from the start, is set on God. Look, I've lived days in my life where I woke up and the first thing I thought about was work. The first thing I thought about was what I had to do that day. And without a doubt, my focus went there and my day went there. 
But when you rise and you start your day with Christ, even in a small prayer or time in the word of God, when you start your day there, watch how your mind guides you for the rest of the day in that direction. Maybe it's a post-it note you can leave on your computer or a post-it note at your desk. You could just, that just simply says, thank God right now or give him praise or worship God right now. A quick reminder. Maybe there's a calendar reminder you can put on your phone that says at 2.30 on Thursday, 2.30 on Tuesday, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to spend a minute in prayer. I'm going to just thank God for something I have. When your mind is intentionally set on God, you don't forget that you died with him and were risen with him. You don't start to trust yourself and expect yourself to be the, 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 the solution to every problem. This is what we're called to, to set our minds on Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says in his next with statement, he says, you have died with Christ, you have been raised with Christ, and now you are hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean, hidden with Christ in God? This is a statement for right now, in the here and now, you are hidden with Christ in God. He says, if you want that great life, that new life, that newness of life in Christ Jesus, it starts by simply recognizing who you are in Christ, that I've died with him, I've risen with him, and now I'm hidden with him. That word means I am contained in him. I'm contained with Christ. My identity is in Christ. This is a requirement. This is a thought that, that, that changes the way we think, a, a way of thinking that's completely countercultural and different from what our world says. It says, I don't rise up every day and think of myself as Justin the husband or Justin the father or Justin the, the son or Justin the, the, the worker or the teacher. I don't think of myself that way first. My primary identity is I am Justin, the one that God loved enough to live inside of. That God chose to live inside me and God loved me enough to die for me and rise from the dead for me. That God loved me enough to give me this resurrection too. That's where my primary identity is. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am, my identity is locked up in Jesus Christ. It gives me freedom. It gives me this new knowledge of the day ahead, this freedom to know that no matter what happens today, I am Christ's child. I am his son. I am loved. And because of that, it changes the way I look at that day. Dallas Willard, a famed theologian and preacher, he once put it like this, and it's a bit of a long statement, but I want us to hear what he's saying here. He said like this, for the first time, we will be able to do what we want to do. This is interesting, because of what Jesus did. Of course, we will be able to lie, steal, and murder all we want, but we won't because we don't want to. But we will also be able to be truthful and transparent and helpful and sacrificially loving with joy because we want to. Their lives will be in this way caught up in God's life. We will want the good and be able to do it because that is is true human freedom. I'm hidden with Christ. I'm in him and he is in me. Our identities are locked together. And it also means that when this new day comes, with all of its pressures and all of its stress, I don't have to trust myself to deal with those anymore. 
You want the new life? You want the better life? Trust the one who gave you life. And this is what that feels like. In the books that Pastor Brian was talking about a little while ago, James Brian Smith, the author, gives this illustration. He says it like this, that he used to have a push mower. If you remember the push lawn mower, this push mower that he used to use would always leave him drenched in sweat because it was so hard to push this mower across his, across his lawn. And many of us remember what that felt like. But then lawnmowers came out with that self-propulsion mechanism where you can just hit a lever or push a button and the mower goes on its own. And James Bryan Smith says it like this, that for my whole life when I trusted myself, it was like me pushing a mower up a giant hill. It was a lot of work. I was getting some stuff done, but ultimately I was left weaker. I was left frustrated and none of it made sense. But when my life was hidden with Christ, it was like pushing a propulsion, bu- propulsion button and the mower just goes and I go with it. That's the offering that's there for you when you want life in Christ, when your life is hidden with Christ. It's I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And there's a final with statement that Paul uses in his letter to the church in Colossae. He says like this, that you are not just dead with Christ and not just going to be raised with Christ and not just hidden with Christ. He says like this, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Christ in glory, that you will appear with him in glory. How does a believer in Christ get to live this new life, get to live this life of joy? It's pretty simple, really. Because the believer in Christ recognizes, I don't have to do anything else. There's no more rule or regiment that I have to follow in and of myself. There are things I need to do. There's no doubt about that. There's there's ways I need to live. But ultimately, though, it comes from what Christ already did and me following the path that he followed. I die with him. I'm raised with him. I'm hidden with him. And now my future is secure because I will appear with him one day. What is it about knowing your future, knowing your destiny that gives you peace? What is it about knowing what happens next that takes a lot of the worry and the stress away from everyday life? I have a lot of students right now who are two and a half weeks away from graduating college, and so they are going through incredible stress right now because many of them don't have a job lined up yet or they're in the middle of interviews and they've got finals right now and they've got all kinds of stress because as of May 16th, they don't know what happens next. And the stress is a result of I don't know what happens next. This feeling of unknown and uncertainty that overwhelms them. And I get at least once a day a student coming into my office crying because I simply don't know what happens next. But I have another student in my class, a a young man who is the star hockey player for the Boston University hockey team. In his sophomore year of college, he was drafted by an NHL team, by the Dallas Stars. Drafted with a multi-million dollar signing bonus. And that young man sits in my class every day, cool as you can imagine. He is not stressed about next year or where he will go or what's going to happen next. He knows that his future is secure. Now, he has to work a lot to make that future happen. But he knows he's been drafted by an NHL team, an NHL team that moved up in the draft to go get him. They want him, and he's going to play for them someday if everything works out well. His future is secure in many regards. And because of that, 
He lives with this calm peace. He's not crying in my office. (laughs) He's definitely not crying in my office. And so he is at peace because of his future. And that's what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians for you and me. We can live at peace today because our future is secure in Christ tomorrow. We will appear with him in glory because he is our life and our life will appear and we will appear with him. It's all connected together. Paul is reminding us again, there is no better life apart from the one who gives life. So the question isn't what can I do, it's who are you with today? Who will you be with throughout this week? Who will you be with in your times of distress? Who will you be with in your happiest moments? It's all about who are you with. If you've died with Christ and you're raised with Christ and you're hidden with Christ, then my friends, one day you and I will appear with Christ. And that is the greatest security, the greatest peace that you and I can ever have. It means simply this. Since you have been raised with Christ, there is nothing you cannot be raised from in this life today. Take a minute to think about what that means. There is nothing that I cannot be raised from in this life today. And tell me what self-help book gives you that type of peace. Think about this for a second. You get a terrible diagnosis, Jesus overcame death, and you will too. You have this stress at work and this overwhelming worry and anxiety about life or family or whatever it might be. Jesus overcame death, and so will you. You have this overwhelming need for for appreciation, and, and, and you have this overwhelming need to take care of others, and none of it's working out, and all these things are falling apart in life. But guess what? Jesus overcame death, and so will you. It means that because you have been raised from the dead, there is nothing you cannot be raised from. You want to know how to live this new life, this better life, this life that Christ promises you? Remember that you have died with Christ. Remember that you've been raised with Christ. Know that you are currently hidden with Christ, and one day you will appear with Christ. It's the greatest peace that God offers to every single one of us. Over these next few weeks, Pastor Brian's going to walk us through what that now means as a result of changing our perspective. How does that affect the way I live week in and week out? That's something that I hope you'll be a part of over these next few weeks. But I look at it simply this way. Because Christ died, because he rose from the dead, I too shall rise. I too shall appear with him. And that means nothing that happens in this life today can ever hold me down. I will rise from everyone of those things as well. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close out. I invite you, if you're willing, to close your eyes and bow your heads at this time. And I hope each one of us will take a moment to think this through. Where have I leaned on myself to deliver the better life? Where have I looked inward and looked at myself and said, look, if I do these things, then I will have a better life. And in doing so, completely forgot about the life that Christ has already given me. A life that's identified with him. A life that can rise from anything. A life that is contained and identified in him. And a security and a destiny that no person on this world could ever give me. I ask you this morning, where has your mind been over these past few weeks?
Where's your heart been set? Have you been fixated on worry? Have you been fixated on the things that you don't have? And in so doing, have you forfeit the peace that Christ offers this morning? Where our heart is, where our mind is, the Bible tells us that's where our treasure is also. Can you find some moments this week where you can set your heart on Christ? Bring him back to the place of priority and say, Lord, I want to set my heart on you every morning. I want to set my heart on you before I go to sleep every night. I want to keep my focus on you throughout my day, throughout my week, and not lose sight of the fact that one day I will appear with you in glory. God, give me a much more total vision of what you're doing in my life. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging, God, that in many ways we simply forget to keep our focus on you. We look down, we look at ourselves, we look at our friends, we look at what others have, and we lose sight of you, God. Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us a heart to reset, to reset our minds back on you, to reset our hearts back on you. Thank you for the reminder this morning that we have died with you and that we've been raised with you, that we are hidden with you, and one day we will appear with you. Thank you for setting our destiny for us. Thank you for the peace that comes with that. We give you all glory and honor, God. I pray for every person here this morning whose heart just simply can't focus on you because they're so focused on other things right now. God, set the the, the slate clean, Lord God. Wash it white as snow. Make it pure and clean again, Lord God, so that we can get our focus back on you. We love you, Lord. Meet us now in our time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise to your feet as we worship God together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m., 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E, Org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.